pray that you would bless Pastor Steve as he brings his message. Help us to have some application in our lives, Lord. And it's in your precious name we pray this morning, Jesus. Amen. Thank you to our worship team this morning. It's always nice to hear people use their gifts to serve the Lord. So thank you, Ray and Mark and Rebecca. On the back of the bulletin, I put just a couple of uh, blanks and just a couple of scripture verses on there that we're going to be looking at. Now we're continuing on in our series called Ben There where we're looking at different aspects of Jesus' life. And we do that because when we see Jesus' life, we learn that he actually understands what we're going through. And he invites us to draw near to him because he understands what we are facing, because he's been there before. He experienced all the range of human emotions when he was here on earth. And often we see interesting things in his interactions with different people, both people that were close to him and other people that he would come into contact with. So today is about those times when we want to give up or throw in the towel because it just feels too difficult, too painful, too much to bear. And maybe it's, it's probably for a variety of reasons. Maybe uh, we're afraid or we've simply failed too many times. I'm sure you have a lot of reasons for wanting to give up certain things. And most of us don't want lives filled with more pain and hardship. We don't want to live where our mistakes just make us doubt what we're here to do and who we're called to be. That's a drag. But there's also a paradox in life. And I'm going to say it like this. Doing worthwhile things will be hard. Another way of saying that would be doing things that are worthy is going to be hard. Difficult. Not easy. And especially when it's something or someone that the Lord entrusts to you. The problem when we give up on those worthwhile things is that we won't be able to see the preferred outcome that God has planned for you. And that's hard. If we want to be respected, if we want to be a good leader in our various settings, if you want to be a good parent or grandparent, if you want to be a person of good character, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, guess what? It's all hard. Some of you specifically know some of those things directly. If you've had to corral three or four squirmy, screaming children, you know it's hard to do that. Because whatever is worthy of doing in this life is hard. And when the going gets rough, it will be tempting to want to give up. Jesus has been there. He understands this feeling. So I want to look at a passage of scripture, some verses from Mark chapter 14. Mark is right after Matthew. It's the shortest of the four accounts of Jesus' life. 
And in the 14th chapter, a lot of things are going on. If anyone had a reason to give up, then one of Jesus' closest disciples, by the name of Simon Peter, probably had more reason than most. For all of his strengths, if you know anything about Peter at all, his story is also filled with some profound failures. And he is our case study this morning. He's our study of why it's important to learn not to give up on what God entrusts you to take care of and accomplish in your life. On that very night when Jesus was to be betrayed, a little bit earlier in that evening, this is what he said to his closest friends and followers. He said, all of you will desert me. Imagine being at a dinner party and the guest of honor stands up and says that. All of you are going to leave me hanging. All of you don't have my back, even if you don't realize it right now. What do we know about Peter as a disciple? We know that he was a fisherman. He was a common guy. He didn't have a lot of formal uh, education or training. We know that he is brash and bold. We know he suffers a lot from foot and mouth disease because he speaks before he thinks. And so who do you think confidently replies first when Jesus says this? Peter. Peter does. And this is what he says. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Now that's a pretty bold claim, especially when Jesus, who is supposed to know everything, has just said, all of you will desert me. Imagine how awkward it would have been if you were one of the other disciples. Peter just threw you under the bus. He's like, yeah, all those other guys that are here, like, yeah, they'll do that, but I won't. I'm better than them. Even if they all fall away, I won't because I'm team Jesus all the way. What happens? Jesus looks at him and says this, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. Again, Jesus says a really hard truth to one of his closest followers. Peter, you're going to be challenged this very night. And when you're under the gun, you're going to say, no, I don't know him. You're going to disown me. And what does Peter do in response? Well, we know a little bit of his character and how forward he is. So obviously, what does he do? He doubles down on a bad take. And this is what he says. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Why is Peter so sure of himself? We might even say, man, what a confident guy. I'd want that guy in my corner. And yet we know that what Jesus has said about him will come to pass. Why was he so sure of himself? One of the reasons that Peter felt like he could say those things was because he had passed the pop quiz before. 
Earlier in their travels together, Jesus had engaged in a conversation with his disciples. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? He wanted to know, did they actually know that he was the Son of God? When you get a question like this, this is like when you're in school and the teacher asks, like, what's the capital of Oregon? And you might have an idea because you know a couple of the cities, or maybe you went on a road trip up the five, but you're too afraid because you're, you know, people, if you get it wrong, people might laugh at you, so you stay quiet. Peter's not that guy. He's the know-it-all that answers everything because he wants every extra credit point, he wants every participation point so he can get that A. He's like, stand back, I got this. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 you are correct. Show him what he's won. He's probably thinking it's going to be something great. I passed the quiz. And Jesus says to him, now I say to you that you are Peter. Up to this point, his name was Simon. Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. That's what he gets. That's his prize that Jesus bestows on him at that moment. Rock. Now that's a name. Now we're not talking about the rock, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. We're not talking about the rock, Alcatraz. We're talking about Simon, who is now Peter, the rock. The rock upon which Christ will build his church. I know, I've never been able to do that, that uh, eyebrow thing like he does. There's a lot that comes with being the rock when Jesus says, this is who you are called to be. And that might intimidate some people, but I think that it emboldened Peter even more. That's why he was able to tell Jesus, no, I will never deny you. I'm ride or die Jesus all the way. On that night when Jesus was betrayed, and they said, and he said that they would all fall away, of course, Peter would say something like, no, no, no. You call me the rock, I got you, Jesus. Later on that evening, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night when Jesus is about to be betrayed, and eventually he will go on trial. He's arrested and will go on trial, and then that leads to his death on the cross. Earlier in that evening, though, when all of this is happening, he takes a few of the disciples, they go to the garden, and he wants to pray. And he says, come with me, and I want you to stay awake for a little while and keep watch for me. Keep watch. And after an intense time of prayer, Jesus returns to them, and he finds them sleeping, all of them. Peter, the one who was ride or die for Jesus all the way, couldn't even stay awake when he got a simple command. And Jesus comes to him and he says, Simon, notice he uses his old name, not his new name. Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you even watch with me one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, 
but the body is weak. I find it very interesting that he uses his old name. It's like he's not... Peter might be sleeping like a rock at this moment, but he's certainly not behaving like the rock that Jesus said he is called to be. He's not the strong, steady one that Christ can depend on to build his church if he can't follow a simple instruction. Eventually, Jesus says, the time has come. If you were here last week... We talked about waiting and how much we don't like to wait and our feeling that sometimes God is really slow. And we looked at all these different examples where Jesus said things like, my time has not yet come, or the hour is not yet here. Well, this night, Jesus finally says, the time has come. My betrayer is at hand. And when a group arrives to arrest Jesus, Peter decides rashly, once again, to show what kind of rock he is. That he is bold, he is strong, he is ready to defend Jesus at all costs. So what does he do? He pulls out his sword, he cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's servants, and he thinks, man, I'm sure Jesus is going to give me an attaboy now. And instead, Jesus does the opposite. Jesus rebukes him. He says, put away your sword, for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. In one of the other accounts, he says, no more of this. This isn't what I'm about. I don't need you to defend me. And as they arrest Jesus, what he had said to his disciples earlier comes to pass. It says that all his disciples deserted him and ran away. So by now, at this point, you're probably wondering, where is this going? All we've seen so far is just failure upon failure upon failure. Misstep, misstep, misstep. Imagine the thoughts that were in Peter's head right now. He's probably thinking, I can't get anything right. I make a move. I get slammed for it. I go this way. I'm told to go that way. I can't do anything right. I speak before thinking. I sleep when I should be awake. I cut that guy's ear off. I don't know what to do anymore. What's next? But wait, there's more. See, Peter isn't done failing yet. He has three more failures to go. He follows Jesus at a distance and he tries to blend in with some of the guards who are taking Jesus away. They stop her in the courtyard of the high priest. They light a fire because it's cold that night and they're warming themselves around the fire and Peter just tries to get a little bit closer to warm himself and blend in with the other people who are there. He wants to know how this is all going to end. And a servant girl eventually recognizes him. And she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. Doesn't sound very ride or die in that moment. Strike one. Later, a second person notices him and says, you must be one of them. And Peter says, no, man, I'm not. 
don't associate me with those guys, strike two. And then the third time, someone notices him, like an hour later, and says, this man must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. I think he meant Galilean almost like a slur. He's one of those people. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And at that moment, immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Exactly what Jesus said would happen. When the rooster crowed at that moment, it says the Lord turned and looked at him. Yeah, not a, this is not a good look. Strike three. I try to think of how Peter must be feeling. I'm sure he was ashamed. The person that he had pledged his life to, he had just said, I don't know him. I don't want to be associated with him. I want nothing to do with him. And he turns away and he leaves and it says he wept bitterly. And maybe he was thinking, this is it. There's no way back now for me. He started on his way back to their hometown area. And maybe he was thinking, well, I, at least I know how to fish. Maybe I'll go back to fishing. That's something I can't screw up because I'm a professional fisherman. This is the question this morning that may be hard for some of you. So who or what are you tempted to give up on? The sigh is very appropriate. You don't have to be sorry, I hear you. What or who are you tempted to give up on? Now we're not talking about simpler things like caffeine or junk food. We're talking about those worthwhile things or people that God has given to you, has entrusted to you. Maybe a commitment that you've made. Maybe it's a particular mission that God is calling you to. Using your specific gifts and talents for the benefit of this world. Maybe it's a specific person that you've been praying for your whole life. Or part of your life. A family member, a friend, a co-worker, a spouse, a wayward child. Yet for complex reasons right now, it feels too hard and painful and stressful. You're not sure if you have the strength or resolve to carry on. Or like Peter, you've let yourself down. Or given up on yourself. Maybe you've said something like, Lord, I've screwed up too many times. There's no hope for me. You can't use me, Lord, because honestly... I'm a train wreck. If those thoughts are somewhere in here, in your head, then this is what I want to say this morning. Throughout history, some of the most effective people God has ever used for his worthwhile purposes have been train wrecks. Because when God works through train wrecks, you know it is God at work. God is always at work in the weak and the lacking. People who are messy, adrift, apathetic, fearful, uncertain, frustrated, 
And yet because of the love Jesus had for humanity, he didn't give up on you or me or any of us. He knows what it feels like to want to give up, to quit. He saw all the people around him falling and failing. Everything was going sideways. And even on the cross, as he was dying, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because he loved us so much, he wasn't willing to quit on us. Because he also knew that his wayward, mistaken, and awkward followers were also the ones to carry on his work in the world. I take a little bit of comfort knowing that Jesus likes to use messy people. I, I, so I feel a little bit better about myself in that moment. Like, okay, I don't need to put on a show. Like, I can have all this stuff that's going wrong and Jesus can still use me. And when he does, I can say, thank you, God, that you actually wanted to use me in some small way. So regardless of how off track you might feel, Jesus won't give up on you. In fact, he's the only one who can get you back on track. He even does this with Peter. He gives him a second chance. Sometime later, Peter is back at the Sea of Galilee ready to fish. I think he wanted to do something familiar. Right now, he had had so many failures, he needed a win. So he goes back to the Sea of Galilee with a few of the other disciples. And they go out to fish. If you're curious about where this part of the story is, this is in the Gospel of John, chapter 29. And this group of disciples, these, this group of professional fishermen, it's like if you paid all that money for a fishing charter and you went out and you didn't catch a thing, you'd be mad. Like, you want to get your money's worth. This group goes out on the Sea of Galilee all night. They don't catch a thing. Nothing. And then as the sun is coming up over the sea, suddenly they see a guy standing on the shore, dressed in white. And he says, have you caught any fish? Have you caught anything? And they say, no, not a one. And this guy who they don't know is Jesus at this point, tells a group of professional fishermen, well, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? How do you do when someone tries to tell you how to do your job? This is the thing that always gets me about this story. They actually do it. For some reason, they're like, well, it can't hurt. We haven't caught anything. We are 0 for 20. Fresh tactics. We need to do something new here. And the catch is so big. John records it as 153 large fish, so many fish, and the net didn't even break. And then suddenly, John, who's one of the other disciples in the boat, he, it's like his eyes are opened. And he says, and he recognizes this guy, he says, it is the Lord. What do you think Peter does? Peter, true to who he is, leaps out of the boat and swims to shore because he can't wait another second to get back to Jesus. 
All the other disciples, they row the boat in like a professional would. They meet Jesus on the shore and they discover that breakfast is ready. And Jesus said, why don't you bring some of those fish that you caught? So who runs to get the net by himself? Peter. He runs and he pulls that net onto the shore all by himself. And then they sit down to eat. And when breakfast finished, Jesus breaks the ice. Because by this point, they know it's him. But nobody wants to say, is it you? Like when you're with someone for a long time, but you forget their name, and then you're like, hey, you, how's it going? Nobody wants to ask him the direct question. Are you actually Jesus? Where you been? What's been going on these last few days? Jesus looks over at Simon Peter and calls him by his old name. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I, I like this particular picture because I think this is what Jesus would have looked like too. Kind of, kind of squinty-eyed, like he's not too sure. It's really difficult in the Bible to read tone, but tone matters. How you say something, and I think Jesus seems to say, really? Are you saying that you love me more than all your other disciple friends? All of them? Really, you denied me three times, said you didn't know me. Can you really say that you love me more than they do? Peter replied, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus gives him a command. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeats the question to him a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I've got to be sure here. Peter says again, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. If I was Peter, I might be getting a little irritated by now. And that's exactly what happens. More than irritated, he's hurt. Because Jesus asks him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three denials, and now three offers of forgiveness. Peter was on the outs. He wasn't sure if there was a way back for him. Jesus gave him an out. And on the shore where Jesus first called him to follow him as a disciple, now he says again, follow me. Friends, I'm thankful that we serve a God whose forgiveness is so big. Big enough to forgive what sometimes we have trouble forgiving. To become who Jesus knew he was to be, Peter went through a painful process. It must have been a roller coaster for him. A painful process to become the rock that God needed him to be. 
stronger, resilient, able to resist what would come against him. Because Jesus, in essence, is saying, you know, what I'm calling you to is hard. And actually, it's going to lead to your death. So when I say follow me, I need to be really sure that that's what you're going to do. On those shores that day, a new day was dawning for Peter. Who or what are you tempted to give up on? What worthy things in your life are so hard right now that you're at the end of your rope? Friends, I encourage you not to give up on those things. I encourage you not to give up on the people that God has put into your care. You may feel like your prayers aren't making a difference. Don't give up. Keep on praying in faith. You may be having a hard time connecting with God. Don't give up. Keep seeking His presence. You may want to give up on yourself because you've just failed too many times. Please don't give up. Because Jesus hasn't given up on you. His love and forgiveness is stronger than your present weakness. And more powerful, powerful enough indeed, to help you persevere and press on with his help. You can try to do it on your own, but like Peter, you'll probably fail again. When Jesus was raised to new life, resurrected for Peter, for you and me, and indeed all of humanity, a new day was dawning. A new beginning awaits. And for you in your life, whatever that may be, it is still possible. What you could not accomplish before on your own is possible through the power and presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We love you. We thank you for not giving up on us. Will you help us to not give up on the things that you have given to us? Enable us to press ahead into the places, the people, and the challenging circumstances that you call us into. When you call us into something, you also will equip us for it. Help us to make a difference in this world for your sake, we pray. When we are on the edge of giving up, extend your hand of mercy to us. Extend your hand, O oh Jesus, to your people, your church, and give us the strength to carry on. Give each person here, I pray, exactly what they need to accomplish what you have already planned in advance for them to do and who you have prepared in advance for them to be. Father, there are so many reasons to trust you. Your faithfulness is unending. So today we commit ourselves to you once again and we lift our souls in praise to you, O Lord God Almighty. And his church says, Amen. Hallelujah. I'm glad that
there is a God of second chances, and third and fourth and fifth and second chances. I know for me, it was 22 years ago that I got my second chance and the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart in a deep and real way. The verse that our kids had this morning, I'll say it again, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Friends, may that new creation rise for you. Go to love and serve the Lord. Amen, amen. Have a great week. I'll see you next week.